0: So this morning, uh, we are gonna talk about prayer. And our passage for this morning uh, contains maybe the most famous prayer of the Christian church, a prayer that was given by Jesus himself to his disciples. So if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and we'll be in verses one through 13 of Luke chapter 11 this morning. And if you're using one of those blue hardcover Bibles, Uh, It'll be on page 869. We often call the first few verses of Luke chapter 11, we often call this section of Scripture the Lord's Prayer. Now, at the end of last year, uh, as I was reflecting upon the previous year and wrestling through, as you do at the end of the year, you know, what kind of changes do I want to make in my life in the upcoming year? There was one thought that continually came to mind and stood out in my mind. I'm sick of saying that I stink at prayer. I'm, I'm done with saying that I stink at prayer. Like, when asked about my weaknesses in church contexts, I've often confessed that I don't have a strong prayer life. And, and oftentimes, that's usually met with smiles and nods and these looks that say very plainly, yep. Me too. And the more I reflected on this reality, the more I thought this ought not to be the case for the church, and especially for somebody who is stepping out to plant a new church. I mean, think about the audacity of a church planter who doesn't have a great prayer life. Uh, Talk about an occupational hazard from the start. The whole enterprise of Midtown Community Church The whole enterprise of what the Mejias are doing in Chandler, Arizona, as you all have sent them out, is an inherently impossible task. Unless God shows up and saves people, these works don't get off the ground. Prayer is not a dispensable supplement for any of us, like a multivitamin that we can simply choose to not take for a week and be just fine. Prayer is as indispensable for the life of the Christian as oxygen is to the lungs. And so the cry of every Christian ought to be the same as this unnamed disciple in verse one of our text, as we'll see, he says to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And so I pray that that's our heart this morning as we approach the word of God. So if you would read from me with me from Luke chapter 11, verses one through 13. It says, "'Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, "'and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "'Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. "'And he said to them, "'When you pray, say, "'Father, hallowed be your name. "'Your kingdom come. "'Give us each day our daily bread "'and forgive us our sins.'" What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Living hope, this is God's word. Would you pray with me that God would come and be our teacher this morning? Lord Jesus, we need your power and presence in our lives. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would come now as we open up your word, that you would change us and that you would help reveal to us the depth of the intimacy that we have with you. And may that spur us on to be big, bold prayers for the sake of your kingdom. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, the question that I want to use to frame this sermon is this. How, then, do we go from viewing prayer like a multivitamin that that we can take and it's kind of good for us, but we can also just kind of leave for a week at a time and not harm us as something that's optional, to viewing prayer as essential to us as oxygen in our lungs, how can we be motivated to pray? And to pray, especially given the theme of our morning, for more churches to be planted in this region and across our country and world. So two points this morning that we're gonna use to frame this sermon and to answer that question. First, we're gonna look at a characteristic of true prayer, and then we'll look at our confidence for true prayer. So first, a characteristic of of true prayer. Now notice that I say a characteristic of true prayer. We are not going to do an expansive teaching on prayer this morning because we have lunches to get to and things like that. <laughs> this is not an exhaustive teaching on prayer, but I want to highlight one one aspect of prayer that can lift our hearts out of the doldrums of our normal prayer lives. And we see this prayer Uh, modeled for us, this characteristic of prayer, modeled for us in the Lord's Prayer. And look at how Jesus begins in verse 2 there. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, if you grew up in church and you recited the Lord's Prayer regularly, this version of the Lord's Prayer probably drives you crazy, because it doesn't have enough words in it. You're you're always wanting to add more words to what's this version in Luke. But all of us here this morning, even if we didn't pray those prayers habitually growing up, have likely at least heard the Lord's prayer prayed a few times. But what do those phrases that we just read in verse 2, "hallowed be your name, your kingdom come," what do those phrases actually mean? And what do they mean for us? Well, let's start with that word hallowed in verse two. Uh, That's kind of an old churchy word, but the word hallowed means to honor something as unique or holy or set apart. Uh, This prayer asks that God's name, meaning his character, uh, the weight of his person and being of all that he is, that, that his name would be honored uniquely as holy. Now notice God's name can't get any more holy than it actually is. It's not like we're pushing God's name up higher and higher. Rather, when we pray, we are praying like the prophet Habakkuk prayed, that that the knowledge of God would cover the earth as extensively as the water covers the sea. That more and more people would recognize the beauty and holiness of our God. Hallowed be your name. And the next clause, your kingdom come. And just like that previous clause, this clause echoes the cries of the Old Testament prophets. If you read the prophets of the Old Testament, you'll see that they regularly cry out that God would bring his justice and righteousness on earth, that he would come himself and be king over his people. And that anticipated kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ and in Jesus pouring out his spirit on the church. And when we pray your kingdom come, we pray in anticipation of that future day when he will make all things new. To pray your kingdom come is to ask that the good news of Jesus would extend across this globe starting in our own hearts as far as the curse is found as that famous Christmas hymn that we love sings. So what do these two clauses in the Lord's Prayer reveal about a characteristic of true prayer that can help move us into a deeper, more vibrant prayer life? Well, they show us that prayer is so much bigger than we think it is. Prayer is an invitation into the grand story of the world. Prayer invites us into a reality that reaches above the small details of our lives. Prayer beckons us to lift our eyes to God and his grand purposes of creation in this world. In a book uh, by Pastor Jack Miller, uh, he helps draw out this characteristic of prayer by distinguishing what he calls frontline prayer from maintenance prayer. So maintenance prayer, as he defines it, uh, predominantly focuses on our own personal needs, the the things that are already going on in our lives, uh, the programs that our church already has going. This type of prayer focuses exclusively on our physical needs like praying for a child with, with a broken arm or a loved one's surgery or a smooth meeting or a good uh, church event. And these aren't bad things to pray for in the slightest, right? In the Lord's Prayer, if we read on, Jesus tells us to pray for the ordinary physical things in our life. He says, pray for your daily bread. But maintenance prayer by itself and on its own as a default mode of prayer, leads us into a malnourished prayer life. And Miller distinguishes maintenance prayer from what he calls frontline prayer. And you hear the military metaphor in there. Frontline prayer asks God to take ground through our life and ministry for the sake of his kingdom. Frontline prayer focuses on praying for people personally to know Jesus and for power in our own lives to proclaim his gospel. Frontline prayer focuses on praying for renewal and revival in churches across our country. Frontline prayer begs God to take ground for his kingdom in our hearts and minds, for us to be able to put sin to death and live to God so that we could know and love him more than we ever have before. Frontline prayer focuses on church planting, on multiplying followers of Jesus across the globe, seeing your friends and family members encounter the love of the living Jesus. And on that last point about praying for church planting, think about this for a second. Where on this earth is God's name honored as holy? Where has God's kingdom come at least in part, on earth right now. It's in his church. Right, right in this world, we as Christians are living as exiles. And the church is an embassy in this foreign land of the kingdom of God, a place where, where Jesus is recognized as the rightful ruler that he is, in the church. And so the prayer For God's name to be honored as holy and for his kingdom to come contains within it, implied within it, the prayer to see more churches planted so that more and more people can be brought into the kingdom of Christ. And this church plant that we are endeavoring to launch in Midtown is a result of 30 years worth of frontline prayers. When, peop- when, when, when my sending church, Community Evangelical Free Church in Harrisburg, set out largely people from the Hershey area to, to move into the greater Harrisburg area and plant this church, their, their vision initially was either to end up in the city of Harrisburg or to plant, to, to settle there and then plant another church in the city of Harrisburg. And I cannot tell you, I've had several conversations that just kind of make me marvel at what God is doing, where people from our church who were a part of that original core team for community will come up to me or other members of our core team and say, do you realize that you are the answer to 30 years worth of our prayers? Frontline prayers for the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. The work that God's doing in us to plant this church in Midtown, stands on the backs of 30 years worth of kingdom-minded prayer. And to bring all of this down into your lives here, Living Hope, the reality is, so often, so many of us don't pray because prayer bores us. We don't have the vision in our everyday prayer lives That when we come to pray, we are involved in bringing in the new world of the kingdom of God. That that prayer puts us on the front lines of the story of the universe. Jesus has ascended into heaven as king, and he's given his Holy Spirit to his church, and he invites you as his child into his rule over the world in prayer. Living hope, your prayers matter. They matter so much more than you likely think that they do. And notice too here how in the Lord's Prayer, how our priorities are realigned to God's priorities. The prayer here that Jesus gives us begins with God and his honor and his glory and his kingdom before it ever touches The details of our lives. That's significant. In other words, Jesus wants your prayer life to be bigger than your life. He wants you to be caught up into the drama of history in your prayers. And so let me encourage you this week, as you think about this, take inventory of your prayer life. What are your priorities and emphases as you pray? Do you take time to pray big prayers like this for God's kingdom? For people to come to know Jesus by name? Do you take time to pray for renewal in God's church? For revival in our country and in the world? And I would also encourage you, take time to pray for church plants. I will selfishly ask you, pray for Midtown Community Church for the sake of God's kingdom. Pray for Ed and Maggie and the city of Chandler, Arizona. Uh, Pray for Mike Santoro and the burden that God has put on his heart for planting a church in Northern York. Pray that God's name would be honored as holy and that his kingdom might come through the planting of more Jesus-exalting and gospel-preaching churches. So, when we see how prayer lifts our eyes above our own lives to see God and the way he has invited us into his plan of redemption for all things. It should thrill our hearts towards prayer as we see this characteristic of true prayer. The other way that we thrill our hearts, we stir our hearts up towards prayer is to see the thing that this passage tells us gives us confidence for prayer, namely the intimacy that you and I have with the God of the universe. Jesus tells a parable here in verses five through eight, this story to talk about how we ought to approach God in prayer. Now we read it uh, at the beginning of the sermon, so let me just paraphrase that that parable for us so we catch what it's trying to say here. So essentially Jesus says, "This, this man goes to one of his friends late in the middle of the night. And he he knocks on his door and he says, hey friend, I I need some bread. I have somebody coming in from out of town and I need food to feed him whenever he gets here. Now this man who was traveling to visit this friend, likely, think of um, Israel, it was very hot during the day. So this man likely set out at sunset and traveled late into the night to beat the heat of the day. And so he gets in late to his friend's house, and the friend realizes, I have no food. So he goes to his friend, banging on the door, late in the night, asking for bread. And the friend's like, dude, it's the middle of the night. Like, I got nothing for you. I'm so sorry. Like, and then you notice in verse 7, it's up there on the screen, but verse 7, he says, my children are with me in bed. Like, I don't know, any of you guys that have young kids or have had young kids, that's a big deal. Like, you're going to wake the kids up. <laughs> and you know sometimes even the smallest thing can wake the kids up. That's a big deal. But this man is insistent. He keeps pounding on the door asking for bread. And it says there in verse 8, as kind of a summary of the parable, that though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, mark that word, we'll come back to that, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So this story that Jesus tells is designed to reveal this truth about prayer, which I'm going to give you up front, and then we'll discuss the different parts of it. This story is meant to reveal the truth that you and I are hesitant to ask big things of God because we don't grasp our desperate dependence on him and our intimacy with him. We're hesitant to ask big things of God because we don't grasp our desperate need for him and our intimacy with him. And so first, this parable shows us our dependence on God. Now, you might have the question, just with our own culture being in 21st century America, you're like, why does this guy so desperately feel like he needs to give this guy bread if he comes to his house in the middle of the night? Like if a friend texts me and says, hey man, I'm gonna get into town at 1 a.m., I'm gonna be like, great, I'll leave the door, a key under the mat, and you can grab the key, and like, maybe there's something in the fridge, but there's a bed for you, and that's it. <laughs> like, and I wouldn't feel bad about that in the slightest. I'd be like, I'm doing you a service. But this, this culture of ancient Israel was an honor-shame type of culture. So to be inhospitable to somebody no matter what hour of the day, would have been incredibly shameful for this man. So he's desperate to get food for him. Now now maybe to translate this into our culture, it'd be like if you invite a couple over to dinner at your house at five, and like, this has happened to me, so this is a real life example. Like you're grilling something and the propane tank you realize is empty. And you get the burgers on the grill or whatever, and then you're like, ah, man okay, let me run to the store and be right back. It'll be six o'clock instead of five. And then you go and you realize, oh man, we forgot to buy ground beef. And then you go back out to the store and eventually you don't get dinner on the table until 10 p.m. if by some miracle they're still at your house and you haven't ordered something in at this point. That's the type of lack of hospitality and shame that this man was, was looking at incurring. And that's why he's so desperate banging on his friend's door in the middle of the night for bread. And church, this is our state before God daily. This is the desperation that you and I are in and we don't realize so often. We desperately need God's love in order to love other people. We desperately need his grace in order, or in order to forgive other people. We desperately need his care to continue the simple act of breathing every day. That's why Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, tells us to pray for our daily bread. You are desperately in need of God. And the second thing this parable shows us is the intimacy that you and I have with God. That if we grasp, we will pray big, bold prayers. Now the context for this parable is the intimacy of a close friendship. And Whitley and I uh, have a couple that um, have been mentors for us and close friends for us for a long time, and they were missionaries in China. And there's this proverb in China that goes, I'm gonna, it's not exactly right, but it goes something like this, you're, you're not friends with someone until you burden them. So, and think about it, it kind of translates into our culture. So, the, the moment that I ask a fellow male friend to come over and help me with a project on my house... Like, that deepens our relationship because being burdensome presumes a certain level of intimacy in a relationship. But the man in this parable, we would say, he's being quite burdensome. Like, going to a guy's house in the middle of the night, banging on his door and not letting up. That, that word that I said we'd come back to in verse eight, impudence, I think that's how you say it, in verse eight, a word we don't use very often. It, it means to be shameless or to completely disregard social convention. In other words, there's a level of intimacy that not even friends share, especially with a threat of kids waking up in the middle of the night. So to put it in our own terms again, it's one thing to ask for a red onion at 4.30 p.m. from a friend because you need it for a recipe that you're cooking for dinner because you have people coming over in 45 minutes. But it's another thing to go to your friend's house and bang on their door and ask for a red onion at 4.30 a.m. that you need for breakfast the next day. Like one is totally normal and one completely defies any sort of social norm that we might have. And Jesus is saying, this man is in the second category. He's banging on the door, asking for a red onion at 4:30 a.m. But notice, the man inside gets up and gives him the bread, not because he is his friend, but because the man is shameless and bold in his asking. And church, this is where we get at the, the logic of this parable that is beautiful. You see, the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer, is so revolutionary because Jesus encourages us to call God Father. That is an intimacy deeper than friendship. There is a level of intimacy that my daughters have with me that none of my friends will ever get to. Like, if a friend comes banging on my door in the middle of the night, I am not moving unless it is a life or death situation. But if I hear my daughter on the baby monitor crying out in the middle of the night, it takes me a little while to wake up, I'm a deep sleeper, but like 10 seconds and I'm up and I'm up in her room seeing what's going on because of the level of intimacy. And here, catch this, church. The point of this parable is that if we ask boldly like this friend, Surely God will answer us, because to God, we are not just friends, but we are his beloved children. We have the level of intimacy with Almighty God that causes him to spring up in the middle of the night. The gospel of Jesus tells us that God loves us enough to send his own son to take his own holy wrath on the cross so that we could be adopted as his own children so that we could have a relationship with the God of the universe, not like a boss, but like a father. And God the Father gave you his very best in the person of Jesus Christ. And as you pray to him, he continues to give you his very best in the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. He says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more, you see that, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When we pray, God does not settle for just giving us good stuff. He sends us himself, his own personal spirit, to indwell you, to empower you for ministry, to assure you of his love, if that friend got out of bed to answer the shameless request of his friend, how much more so will the father who gave up his throne in glory in the person of Jesus Christ answer your bold, shameless requests? And so if you're here this morning and you don't know the love of Jesus, Jesus stands ready to save you if you simply call out to him and ask him, Jesus is chomping at the bit to give you his Holy Spirit, to make his love known to you, and to give you a salvation and a love and an intimacy that you long for but have never experienced before in your life. So ask him, and he will send you his Holy Spirit. So you see, when we understand our true relationship with God, we begin to offer up big, shamelessly bold prayers for ourselves, for this world, and for the planting of more churches. And that's exactly what Jesus wants from us. Verses nine and 10, Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, receives, And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Those commands in verse 9 ask, seek, knock are all things that the friend does in this parable. Jesus is imploring us as his followers to take advantage of the relationship that we have with the Father by asking boldly, shamelessly, and without social convention. One of the signs that a child is secure in the love of their parents is this type of shameless asking. A child that doesn't know that their parent loves them isn't going to ask questions like this, isn't going to make requests like this, and certainly won't do that continually because they know at a certain point they're going to get their head bit off. But a child that is secure in the love of their parent knows that they can make audacious requests because they are needy and they know that mom and dad love to provide for them. So living hope, do you see God as a generous, gracious father? Do you see him smiling down on you, singing and delighting over you in Christ? Do you see Jesus giving himself in love for you? And only when we see God as father like this does it give us the confidence to pray frontline prayers because we see God isn't just an angry deity that we need to placate, but he's a father that deeply loves us. And so don't, him-haw in your prayer life around the Heavenly Father. Don't come before him and say, oh, um, but, well, if you, if you just could, maybe, maybe you could do this for, for me, Jesus. Like, maybe, maybe we could have this one church planted here, and maybe you might want to save this, this one friend of mine who doesn't know you. You do not have to do that with your Heavenly Father. Come before him boldly because you know that he loves you and that he wants to hear from you. And that when you come before him with these type of frontline prayers, he delights to answer your requests. I mentioned earlier how God has been growing me to see both the the urgency and the delight of prayer. And along with my wife and uh, some members on our core team, we've kind of started to fumble into Praying these types of prayers together. They're not eloquent or pretty, but we've tried to start. And, and one such prayer has been for my neighbor, that our relationship would deepen so that I would have opportunities to start to speak the good news of Jesus into his life. And lo and behold, about two months ago, about two months after we started praying prayers like this more intentionally, I I go to take a Tupperware back to this neighbor. And he opens the door, and I couldn't tell if he was being particularly friendly or antagonistic, but he barraged me for like 45 minutes with questions about how I'm a Christian pastor and like, what the heck does that mean? Why do you live on my street? Like, it was all of these like back and forth. One sounded really curious. One sounded really antagonistic. I didn't know what to make of it. But at the end of the 45 minutes, my neighbor says, this was really good. I'd like to keep having these kind of conversations with you. I said, okay, man, let's do it. And so about every week since then, him and I have gone on a walk or gone out to dinner and we've talked about Christianity and the gospel. And I say this not to have you know, like or have you to look at me or anybody on our core team, like I had almost nothing to do with that. I I stumbled into that because we were praying. And so, my final encouragement to you, and and I'll invite the band back up as I give this encouragement. And I tell you that story to say, Living Hope, when you pray prayers like this to Jesus, confident that the Father loves you, expect for Him to show up, expect for Him to answer your prayers. He delights to, and He does. Prayers that you know he wants to answer, like planting more churches and seeing more people saved. So all I say is, maybe in a a joking way, pray boldly, but pray with caution, (laughs) because he will move and show up in your life. But pray more than that. Pray with a holy expectation, because you have a father that loves you, that delights to hear your voice echo in the halls of heaven. And so come boldly before him in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, close this service this morning and close a sermon on prayer, I want to pray for the people of Living Hope. Lord, I pray for them that as the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, that you would come to them by your Holy Spirit and that you would assure them of your love for them. That they would know that what we just talked about from Luke 11 is true of them. If they have placed their faith in Jesus, help them to know the love of God that smiles down upon them today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as they know that love, that that would cause them to be bold and courageous and shameless in prayer as they come before you. Help them to pray things that they never dreamed of asking. Prayers that are so far beyond them because we have a God that's so far beyond us, both in his power and his love. And I pray that as these people do that, that you would bless this region, that more churches would be planted from this church, and that more lives would be changed as a result of the mission of Jesus playing out in the lives of the people of Living Hope. We love you. Thank you for the living hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.